Hey everybody, we are here with episode 203, I believe, of Making Movies is Hard. Just a reminder that in just about three days, our contest for the most iTunes reviews in a month begins versus the Just Shoot It podcast, uh, Light the Fuse, and Respect the Process with Jordan Brady. So if you like this show... And those other shows are just like your second, third, and fourth favorite podcasts. Uh, you should definitely uh, leave us a iTunes review uh, starting on May 1st. And get all your friends to leave reviews because the podcast with the most iTunes reviews by the end of May uh, 2019 will be crowned the victor of these four podcasts. So... Yeah, that's just 30 days to make us number one. So um, I think it's actually first to 25 is the, the goal. So help us get to 25 reviews. Leave a review for the show. And thanks so much for listening. And also, I mean, in all honesty, those podcasts all rock. I listen to all of them. So check them out too. But don't review them. Um, just review ours. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. And enjoy the show. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell. Oh, I'm Liz. I'm supposed to say I'm Liz and I left a blank, <laughs> but I'm still Liz Manischel. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this might be the first time you listeners are hearing Liz's voice, maybe. Um, she was on an episode, oh my goodness, like probably 60 episodes ago or so. You're Maybe really more. downplaying my importance to the podcast right now, and I don't appreciate it. No. Right. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of course. I mean, I think I was one episode like a year or two ago, which is when I met you guys. Yes, something like that. And yeah, Liz is a LA-based filmmaker with two feature films that you've directed. One that's come out, right? One was distributed by The Orchard in 2015, and then one that is about to uh, hit the festival circuit um, in a in a like a few days, like in like two weeks. Yeah. Oh, two weeks. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, Where is it premiering? Days. Well, um, I mean, technically, it premieres at Atlanta Film Festival, but we got invited to play this film festival in Los Angeles called Method Fest Film Festival. Oh, cool. Which is run by some of the programmers of Fantastic Fest and South by and oh. is. In it, it's playing at like Lemley, Beverly Hills, which is very cool. Um, so that's the one on March twenty. But it's not your official premiere. No, I mean, I, I I don't really know. There's like the weird politics of that, right? So it's like, yeah, what does it mean? Yeah, it's the first time our film is playing at a festival, but I didn't tell them it was the world premiere, so I guess it's not. I, I I think it's whatever the filmmaker decides is their world premiere, and we decided this was just the first LA screening of the film. Cool. Well, there you go. I mean, wait, so you could decide what your premiere is? I See, that's the thing. What I'm trying to <laughs> what, like what? dance around is like, I don't know, but I've decided that Atlanta is our premiere. That is funny. And Adla is Atlanta cool with it? Yeah, well, Atlanta's like, we applied to Atlanta and they accepted us and we told them we haven't, we didn't played any other film festival. And then we got invited to Method and they're like, is this your world premiere? And I was like, well, chronologically speaking, yes, but not really. And then they never asked me any other questions. Huh. Okay. Well, that's cool. If works for them. Works for you, right? I mean, we'll see what they put in the program. They might just go ahead and put world premiere anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, they probably will because that's their prerogative, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. They want yeah. more world premieres. It's such a silly like mandate that film festivals have. Like, who really cares? Yeah, like, it doesn't right. really matter. <laughs> they want to be first, damn it. Like, they right. need your movie to be the first time that they anyone's seen it at their festival. It's a big deal. <laughs> but that's exciting. Atlanta, that's a big one, right? That's a, I've gotten rejected from them a bunch, so I know <laughs> it. I know it's good. <laughs> I mean, that's how I look at it. Like, And I've been rejected by... And like with the second feature, if I've been rejected by a film festival twice with both of my features, I've now decided never to apply to them really? again. Because Whoa. I just kind of am like, they they don't like me. Like wow. this is, it's proof that they don't like That's me. That's a pretty um, bold uh, statement to make, right? Maybe they're just like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. There's lots I've of different Ashland, reasons. I've tried Ashland with like every single film I've ever wow. made. And they just do not like me. And That's so now funny. I'm just like, why am I wasting the $50 on Ashland's? Like, back away now. I mean, so. I've gotten rejected from so many film festivals. If I did that, I wouldn't be able to apply to any film festivals anymore. <laughs> well, the number's getting smaller and smaller for me. <laughs> okay. <so. laughs> 
That's we'll funny. We'll see what happens with the next film, if there is a next film. Well, come on. There is a next film, right? Well, there will be, but probably not for a few years. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that because you're a mother? Yeah, I think wow, so. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like this backhanded compliment, which is like, great. Congratulations. We won't make any <laughs> movies anymore. Wait, um, I thought you already had your next movie like signed on that you were going to direct or something like that. I do, um, but I don't believe in anything until it's like in blood and oh so, really okay like we're technically supposed to shoot july august like the team is motivated it's wonderful but when you as you know until you have the money in the bank it's it's not real so i'm just right. waiting to see what's real but in the next so few years. you're saying that yeah that might not be the next movie for the next few years but there's also a good chance you'll direct your next film in the summer yeah there's like a 28% chance that I'll direct a movie in the summer. Wow. And like a 72% chance that it'll be pushed back an infinite amount of times. Wow. And it'll be like two years until I direct something. Interesting. What? Why Why do you think? Is that just because there is no money for it right now? Is that why you feel that way? Or I mean, I don't know if... if I mean, I think you've been going through this. So this is something yes. that we could talk about. <laughs> Please. Um, but it's like... You announce you're going to make a movie. Somehow you convince people you're going to do it, even if you don't believe it yourself. And then somehow the closer you get to your shooting dates, um, it's not that money appears, but investors that you've been trying to woo realize that it's real and they'll either say yes or no. And that's kind of what's going on, right? It's like, it's not, I started talking and I'm like, oh my God, I don't remember what well, this the is point great. Of what I was going to say. No, was. this is amazing. Um, what is this a mom thing? Like, do I have no brain no. cells left? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you got it. You got to keep on going. So you're talking about like, uh, you know, you start raising money for a movie as you get closer to the shoot date, investors start realizing that it's going to actually happen and they say yes or no. Right. And you're in this process right now with this new movie that you signed on to right and it's like i believe like the lead actress is also the producer and she's like the most wonderful powerhouse i've ever met but she's never produced anything before uh, and if i like don't have time to even understand my sentence you know 10 seconds prior um while i'm talking to you i it's like very hard for me to help her put this film together right. um so i think that's part of it but i do think that films get manifested through sheer will and i'm starting yeah. to worry that that will is um is harder to finesse the more tired and the more busy you get with life's you know complications right. but right. you're but I want to know where you are with your film. Right. How close are you? Right. Well, I guess I'm in a similar spot um, to to this film that you're describing, except we actually have money in the bank, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, you have money. We so have it's some not money. A similar spot. You're real. <laughs> we have some money, and we almost have enough where we could just make it. And like, I have a commitment from an investor that if the commitment came through, then we would have enough to to make something in, in this year, basically, like or in the summer, you know. Amazing. And I got like some of the money from that investor, like some, and that, that was really encouraging when like they gave me the, some money, I was like, oh, well, they're actually going to give me all the money because they gave me some of it. And then that was like two months ago. <laughs> and er, you know, every week long. and every week it's like, yeah, by, by the end of the month, we'll get you, it'll, we'll send over the transfer. We'll send over the transfer. <laughs> and then it just doesn't, it hasn't come yet. And I think this investor listens to the show. So <laughs> I'm sure that so maybe they'll hear this and I don't investor, know what they're going to think. <laughs> investor, man or woman or non-binary individual, yeah. what's going on? And I love like, you. I yeah. love you, investor. <laughs> right. I love you so much. You're, You're a great wonderful. person. You're a friend to me. I love Thanks you. Thanks for supporting independent Thank film. You for everything um <laughs> not trying to be a jerk just uh it would just make because if i had that then i could literally go to plan b at any time and go shoot a movie in two months like like we could totally do that and uh, but i do think that like if you had a deadline, and i you and i've talked about this right. if you have like a ride or die deadline yeah this investor would would come through. I set shoot dates, you know, for myself. It's, it's how my, because I, I asked my producer, I was like, can I, can I set shoot dates? And he's like, yeah, well, for you, you can, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> That's basically really? what he said. He was like, yeah, because, 
uh, we don't have the money. So he's like, I don't feel comfortable setting actual dates until you have the money in the bank. And when I, you yeah. have the money, oh, wow. then you should do it. That's what he said. I start with shoot dates. I start with shoot dates before I have the money. Because really? if you wow. don't have the shoot dates, you can't convince cast. You can't convince investors. No one believes that it's real. And like people are so used to you changing those shoot dates that um, – it, it, it's not a great practice to be in to like set something and know you're going to change it. Right. But the, the shoot dates are what convince people that it's real. Yeah. I, in my experience. So have on all your movies, have you set shoot di- shoot dates and then change them later? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, on the shorts, on everything, because yeah. it, you just, I don't know what it is. It's again, it's that idea of manifesting something. Once you say it out loud, um, and I don't believe in the secret, and I'm not one of these people who's like new age woo woo. Oh yeah. But like, if you say it out loud, like you hold yourself accountable. Yeah. And so that's the only thing um, I believe in is accountability with these projects. I do, I do believe in that for sure. And I feel like the more I talk about the movie, and the more that I tell people that we're making this movie this year, the more it's like, yes, this is happening yeah. for sure. And I, and I, and it is. Like we're shooting this movie this year. Like this is happening. Like even ev- no matter what, <laughs> you know. I know you are. Um, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's happening, and we have a lot of exciting other things ha- uh, going on with the movie too. Like there's been a lot of interest for from a couple different production companies. I got a new executive producer who's signed on, who's helping us to find money, um, who's actually based in Los Angeles. So that was really Yay. cool. A lot of this is all due to the teaser trailer that I shot in September that people right. are responding to positively which is great. And yeah, and then we have like another like team of investors who are excited about it, who we're basically waiting to hear back from now. And then if they're interested, we might do this fundraising event slash teaser trailer screening event in Los Angeles uh, in April, um, which would be like a chance to like lock in a bunch of these people, hopefully. Um, so it's definitely, things are going well with it. It's just, yeah. I'm really excited to set those damn shoot dates and start making <laughs> offers to talent. That's like what I really want to do is make my talent offers. We'll see if, if what, what happens, but I feel really, really confident. And it's like, it's kind of frustrating because there's a, a couple of people who, when we start pre-production, I've heard that they're going to put in some money. So it's like, Oh yeah, when when we start this so and so is going to put in x amount or then so and so will probably put in x amount at this point. And it's like if they put right. that amount in now, <laughs> right. we would be really great, but it's like they're not going to do that until we're actually going. Yeah. And it's like we can't go until we have more money. So Well, that's it's why sort I of always frustrating. like I always call myself an equity investor in a project. Right. And so like no one and we may have talked about this before but no one wants to be the first in. Right. So you always are like, "Oh, no, we have a little bit of money." And you always kind of um, disguise the fact that your personal equity is the first money in. Right. Because, you know, or else, you know, you just sound like a project that's not as attractive, which is so silly. But yeah, but but we actually have real money. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, (laughs) and and it's still the same situation. It's like we actually have like actual budget, you know, And and it's but it's not enough. It's not like. You know, for people to really be like, take it serious. It's just, you know, it's not quite enough. But to me, it's a t- it's like more money than I've ever had, you know. Oh, but yeah, it's, it's super like, real. I don't know. Anyways, I the bottom line is the movie's happening. It's going to shoot this year. I don't know when necessarily. Hopefully it's summer. Um, but yeah, that's sort of where I'm at right now. No, you know exactly when. You're just not allowed to share what it is yet. Ba- basically. You know exactly when. I know when. Exactly. But Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I guess since we talked about it a little bit, you're, you're a new mom. Congratulations. Thank That's you. so exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it must be. I mean, it's just so different. It's so different because like I was talking about where we're, you know, we're in development slash almost pre-production on this new film, but I, I literally have maybe 20 minutes a day to give to it. Like I can't wow. do any deep thinking, um, I can't do any like long-term tasks. Like there's threads and threads of email chains where I'm being asked questions and I'm like, can you remind me what, what you were, you know, can you just give me a summary before you ask me the question rather than me having to read through 45 different emails, which would have been fine, right? you know, two months ago, I would have been able to follow along. 
But what I found with motherhood and this newborn stage is like, you just don't know when you're going to have free time. Yeah. You don't know when the baby's going to fall asleep. You don't know when you're going to get to take a nap. Um, so that's really, it's very hard to predict how much work you can get done a day. Wow. And like, so for instance, right now, how are you able to do this podcast? Is it, do you have your, <laughs> is your, the father watching the yeah, little so one? My, my partners with Colin, our son, um, in the other room. And, you know, that's the other thing is like, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a partner where, um, I can say, I'm doing this thing. Can do, you got my back? Like we're mixing my second feature Saturday and Sunday. And I'm literally on Sunday, I'm spending 90 minutes in the mix. I'm going to my son's baptism and then I'm going back to the mix afterwards. Wow. Um, Amazing. It's it's weird. Crazy. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, congratulations. And my hat off to you to like make it happen to be like going into the festival circuit with your film. I mean, didn't you shoot the film while you were pregnant? Is that accurate? Well, um, I had a miscarriage the day after we wrapped production. Oh my goodness. And then I got pregnant with my son two months later. So it's oh, been wow. like really uh, a weird year. Um, but that was back in April. And now we're about a month. Um, like we're probably going to premiere in um at atlanta around you know the same time we were shooting the film which is kind of cool a year ago wow that's so great um so then i have a slew of questions for you about this movie (laughs) i'm gonna not go by our outline here okay Um, i'm ignoring the outline yeah we can just get off because i don't know i just do the same out kind of outline with everybody for these episodes and i think it's less fun than just diving into stuff yeah yeah so you had your movie with The Orchard, your first movie, Bread and Butter. Yeah. That was really awesome. So why don't you just take this to The Orchard again? Is it because, or like, why didn't The Orchard help fund this movie? Is it, oh. is that, was that, were those options for you that you didn't take? I didn't take? even try. Um, oh, I don't okay. even know. I mean, it could, maybe it's an option. I literally have no idea. Um in my experience, I've been rejected from like every nonprofit <laughs> film organization. You know, right. I haven't really ever done a pitch to anyone. Um, and I've really just kind of maintained the philosophy of like DIY. Um, mm-hmm. And in maybe to my own detriment, because I probably should be trying to capitalize on more opportunities or at least trying to pitch to things right. and entities. Um, I am going to share this film with the orchard and um, they may want to distribute it. I have no idea. Um, I've, I have a really good working relationship with them and I'm going to send it their way. Once we have a link that's fully mixed, fully color timed oh, okay. and beautiful and perfect. Um, I've been submitting like a rough cut to festivals, which has been ah. not so great. Um, but I've had to do it because we had to spend like several months doing visual effects and I didn't want to lose that time. Oh, I see. So would you recommend to other filmmakers to submit rough cuts to film festivals? I mean, you got into a good one to, to Atlanta. I mean, I mean, yeah, it must well, be, must've worked. Uh, we're picture locked. We're just like, so our film has a wormhole in it. And I think, um, one of the problems of submitting a rough cut with, of a sci-fi film is like, you know, like 80 shots, say 10 visual effects on it. Um, wow. and a lot of the, the concept is based off of technology that you're not able to see when you're sending, you know, this non-final cut. So I recommend if it's picture locked and you feel that people will be able to see your vision from the film, then yes, that's fine. Um, I backed myself into the corner and I had to submit, um, and I probably would have benefited from waiting, you know, a few more months. So, so why did you have to submit? Was it just because you really wanted to premiere there, or did you like what? What do you mean had to submit? Well, I, in in my mind, I have limited time to get these films off the ground. So, uh, like my lead actress um, is Anne Dowd, who won the Emmy last year, not this year. Uh, for I Handmaid's see. Tale. Right. And so, for the part of it is like I there's still a lot of heat and attention on her. And so I, I want that, um, you know, another actress that we have is from crazy ex-girlfriend that's ending its season right now. Uh, so it's like, I'm just thinking about casting. I'm thinking about 
my career, I'm thinking it's been four years since my film, my first film came out. Um, and then I'm going to spend the next two years, um, well, the next 18 years raising this child. So <laughs> right. like, right. you might as well use the like pre pre delivery momentum yeah. as much as you can. That makes so sense. That's what I did. Well, I don't know. I, I have a feeling you're going to make plenty of movies while you're raising your child. I, uh, so. I, I don't think <laughs> this is going to, you know, be this thing, this bleak thing that you're describing. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'm a little dark. <laughs> that's I'm a little funny. bit of a pessimist. So yeah, yeah. We'll see. So what, what are your hopes for the film? Like, do you feel like, are you, are you still just at the very beginning of the festival circuit sort of mm-hmm. thing? Like, like how many festivals are you going to apply to? Like, what kind of festivals are you going after? Like, what are you, what is your plan? I mean, I've, uh, applied to probably like 15 so far. Um, I'm still waiting to hear back from maybe like a handful, but we've been rejected by a bunch. And then we actually had to reject two festivals because our film wasn't going to be ready. Um, oh no. Were they, they big were ones? Actually, they were decent. Actually, they're both really decent festivals. I mean, they're not Sundance or South by, but they're right. you know, in the same milieu as Atlanta. And wow. um, it would have been cool to play those. Um, but we but the film wasn't ready. And um the plan is every single I have um, a calendar that I look at every day that has my like to do list items and every day I move the festival list the next day. Um and it's like the festival list or all the festivals I want to apply to once we're locked. And there's probably about uh, a dozen and a half more festivals I want to apply to. Okay. Um, That's not as many as I thought you'd say. Yeah. Well, I, with bread and butter, I had like a, I call it my spreadsheet of rejection. And I had just like so many festivals I applied to. And for me, I'm really just want to go to distribution. Uh. Um I really want to see like the whole point of this film was prestige and press. That was what I want with this film is that I want Uh, to be, um, I want to get pull quotes and I want to be listed. I want to place at the table as a filmmaker. And I thought this film could possibly get there because it's a second feature. And I learned um, pretty early on that, that, that that's probably not going to happen with this film either. And I thought that like Wait. when you get to your second feature, something doors open, maybe, right? Huh, interesting. Um, but I don't think that's true. I think you have to outstay everyone. And I think it takes <laughs> like five features. I think it takes more than we think to really make an impact if you don't have Sundance, South by Tribeca, right. um, these major organizations behind you. You have to um, really do way more work to get attention. So why did you want prestige? Is it just so you could like, you know, further your career as a director? Is that why you want the, you know, I guess you're saying good reviews, right? And like publicity and all those things. Yeah. Or it's like um, most of what I do, like when I talk at Sundance, because I work at Sundance or when I do panels, um, uh, I always feel like I don't have a place at the table as a filmmaker. Like I always feel like, Oh, it's Liz. She does micro budget. They're kind of weird films and she scraps them together. Like that's what I assume is kind of the perspective of, of my work. And what I really want is kind of the acceptance of my peers to be at the table with them, especially working at Sundance and like seeing through the glass, if that makes sense. Like I'm watching people, people's careers really burgeon, but I'm on the outside. Mm. And so I'm just trying to get inside somehow. <laughs> Such a big concept. Right. But do you know what I mean? Do you feel the yeah. same way? I don't know. Well, I guess I don't feel like a real filmmaker because I haven't made a feature. Oh, no. Um, but that's- so I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> oh, I understand that, but it's not true. But I understand right. that. Right. I don't know. I mean, I I haven't gotten into a lot of film festivals and stuff, and I haven't won a lot of awards for my movies. Um, I've gotten some views online for my films, but like nothing that is at all impressive in this day and age, you know. But to me, it feels like a lot, you know, 
to yeah. me, it's like a hundred thousand views on on one of my short films that I directed. Feels like that feels like a big good thing. That's huge! Oh my but, god, I wish I had that that kind right, of number. Right, right. But then, like, you tells that to somebody, and they're like, "Oh, it's like even a million isn't impressive anymore. It's like it has to be oh, ten million for people to be impressed that you know about your short film." So I feel like I just feel like I'm not really at that hoity-toity filmmaker level, whatever that is, where I <laughs> I can say I played at. You know, even Austin or South by Southwest or whatever, not South by Southwest, that's a big one, but like Austin or I don't know, what's another one that's good that people have heard of? Telluride, maybe. I don't know. Like, Telluride is pretty fancy, but yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, like a respected festival that may not be in the top tier, but it still like yeah. has that weight. Right. I get that. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I guess I feel like it's just making movies is really what's important. And then I think that like micro budget, isn't that like every filmmaker these days? Like, aren't we all micro budget filmmakers? No, not no? where I sit. Where I sit, really? <laughs> I still feel like I'm trying to let, I'm like shouting from the mountaintops to, for people to make micro budget content. And, um, and, and they're not. And when I find filmmakers who are in micro budget who actually like, are artists and believe in the craft and like write their own scripts or, or collaborate with thoughtful writers. And, you know, there's like a heart behind, like a beating heart behind their film. I get so excited. (laughs) Um, I don't meet a lot of people like that actually. Okay. So take like some Sundance, like, you know, like official selection movies per se. Let's just like, you know, in, in general, let's just talk in general generalities here. Like are most of those movies, like a million plus budgets, 10 million plus budgets. Like, like what are you talking? I don't don't work for the festival. So like one of the the questions when you submit is like, what budget level are you in? And I don't have access to that. Oh, I see. Okay. But I can tell you that like, um, it's thought that like an $800,000 budget is very low. Wow. At the Institute. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, so, but where does that money come from? Like, how are people funding these movies? Like, is this, like from production? financiers, from okay. you know, from major financiers, from you know, okay. there's like a whole community and culture of investors who will invest in projects that they think are prestige titles, right? That like get into IFP or Tribeca um, in their development phases. Uh, I see, and then they'll come on board, and then they'll balloon the budget up and um, interesting be a part of like. You know the parties, and and again that that prestige and that bubble that certain films get. Okay, so it's like the gatekeepers are some of the 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 you know institutes that do these uh, f- workshops and fellowships and such yeah. that like you know sort of s- like screen out the content, and then those are the the pictures or the the movies that. Um, you know, these investors look for that these things that are coming out of fellowships. That's what I've seen. When I've talked to investors, they're usually on board projects that are at those fellowships or workshops. And, you know, there's a certain level, like, again, it's the, it's the Austin Film Society, it's SF Film, it's, it's Sundance, it's Tribeca, it's, it's like a certain tier, it's Berlin Alley, it's, you know, it's all of these. Yeah. um, And, and also films with very good cast attachments too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of a bummer, but we don't live in a real true meritocracy. Right. So, <laughs> right. Where do you think those cast attachments come from? Do they come from uh, just personal connections or is it like the movie will start as like a fellowship film and then an investor will be interested in it and then they put some money into it and then they get the cast attachment or is it the other no, way around? I think it has to do with, um, well, first of all, a lot of people who are um, in these programs have representation and representation will then go ahead and package uh, their films. I think that's really where the casting is coming from. Um but also by nature of being in these programs, even if you're unrepresented, you can approach talent and they're probably seeing Sundance as a way of, um, you know, uh, separating the wheat, separating the wheat from the chaff. And those are directors they want to support and, and to like loop into their world. So like talent may be like, oh, well, this is the Sundance Screenwriters Project. Well, I, I'll sign a letter of you know, intent for this project because mm. they've already passed through this litmus test of quality through Sundance. How many people are signing letters of intent these days, though? Is that still a thing that happens? I, I guess mean, it does. I had one um, 
I think Alison Tolman signed a letter of intent for Speed of Life, but we. Oh wow! Um, and I think that was the only real letter of intent I've ever had signed and and got on board. You know, and I think it might have been at their. I'm trying to remember who even greenlit that, but for the most part, I just locked on cast once I have the budget. And right, I I don't know how much value a letter of intent has, but. Um, I'm for anything that speeds the process up instead of slows it down. Did, did having that LOI from Allison Tolman help you raise the rest of the money for your feature? No, I mean, I think I have a feeling we had already had the budget by the time we got oh, that LOI. I think it might have been so I could round out the rest of the cast and I can say, well, she's officially interested in this. Oh, role. there you go. So then that got other people excited to to sign on because she's, she's a name that people have heard of. I think so. But I mean, honestly, we had other casts attached at that point too um i it's in the whirlwind you know that's the other byproduct of of micro budget film is like my bookkeeping is horrible and my memory is horrible so it's like you know <laughs> wow. when you're making films for bigger budgets there seems to be like a slower less chaotic process to putting it together but for me i'm just like throwing shit at a wall constantly right. and seeing what sticks um, any point being, we were really lucky that all the people who came right. on board did. Right. Yeah, that's really amazing, though, um, to have that kind of cast on such a s- small, you know, budget movie, you know, especially without, you don't, because you don't have representation, right? Or anything? I don't have representation and I never have a casting director. I always cast my wow. projects. So, wow. Yeah. Do you recommend that? Do you feel like other filmmakers should be doing it the same way? I mean, and I, I might have even talked about this with you guys a while back. Yeah, so maybe. I, I, I don't mean to repeat myself, and I'm sorry if I do, but uh, yeah, I, okay. think, <laughs> I think part of what has worked for me is um, they they know like transparently that I want their client in my film because I'm the director and I'm reaching out. And I think when you have a casting yeah. director, yes, it definitely alleviates a ton of the work and casting directors have an amazing eye for talent. Um, but, um, if I don't have the budget for a casting director, I at least have the, uh, I don't know, like the genuine emotional appeal that when I'm approaching clients or actors or whatever that, um, I I don't even know. I think that there's something kind of genuine about me reaching out rather than having 15 different people sheath me in like a wall. Um, but don't get me wrong. If I had like a million dollars and I was, someone said, make a movie for a million dollars, I would hire a casting director. Um, right. They're, they've, they're feeling like they're, they know who's about to break out. They know they're tracking talent and they're fantastic. I just don't, I don't never have that kind of money. So when you're approaching cast, like what is your process? Do you call their manager or agent first and try to talk to them over the phone or do you send an email first? Like what's your intro to them? I send emails, um, and uh, it's usually, it's usually like after I have the budget of a project, and I say this as if I've done this 30,000 times. I've just done this with two features. But once we have, quote unquote, the full budget, um, I have you know an entertainment lawyer and she drafts a template for an offer letter with you know an uh, official see. offer. And, um, and then I go through the agents and I write you know a thoughtful, emotional, or my attempt at a thoughtful, emotional letter to why I want their client in my film. And... Um, that's how you know we've been rejected plenty of times uh but we've also been um successful so it's worked for us so that that really emotional thoughtful letter is that for the agent or is that like an attachment that they're going to forward on to the talent it's it's kind of both it's like i know the agent's going to read it right okay so i need i need it to look professional i need it to be grammatically correct i need it to be um well worded um but it's all written to the actor um it's dear allison tolman you know here's why i'm obsessed with you i've been following your career for years you were one of my favorite actresses the -hmm. reason i want you for this is x you know these are our dates um and then you know i i i mean that's that's our that's our process. <laughs> but but just to be, you know, this might be boring for some people, and maybe we already talked about this on the other episode, but, like, do you, like, literally, like, you write an email that's like, says, Dear Mr. Agent, 
like I am interested in your client, Allison Tolman. I have attached a, you know, offer letter and a letter to, to her directly. Could you please, uh, pass this on to, to Allison? Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I mean, that's not the exact wording, but it is like if you, if (laughs) I think. Wouldn't that be funny? Dear Mr. Agent. Um, I mean, I think the, the perspective I had, which may not be true anymore, but it was a rumor that I heard when I was in film school, is that if you send the offer letter to the agent, they absolutely have to consider it. Like legally, they have to consider it. Right. So you can kind of be a little bit presumptuous when you say things like, please pass this on to your client. Or you could say, you know, I've attached this offer letter. I'm very interested. But what I usually do uh, just to be clear on the chronology is I don't, I email them saying, I, I'm happy to send an official offer. Um, I'm checking in about dates or, um, you know, I, I usually send an email without an attachment first. I mean, first of all, I don't want to end up in their spam folder and secondarily, um, I want to test the waters, you know, are they going to respond to me? Are they kind? Are they, I've had plenty of agents who have given me one word responses and it's completely made me pivot on approaching their talent. Um, So you you first email asking if you can submit an author letter, basically. I think so. Yeah. Or like that I have one prepared and ready to go. And, you know, are these dates free? Okay. Uh, You know, there's various different ways I do it. And honestly, I don't do it the same way every single time. That makes Um, sense, though. Yeah. yeah, I'm preparing an offer letter for so-and-so talent. I'd like to check their availability. Are they available for these dates? You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Awesome. Yeah, I, lo- <laughs> I, lo- I love nerding out on this because I've I've called agents before and I've sent emails to agents before about pro- for actors for different projects. And, you know, sometimes I get really nervous when I call on the phone and I sound like a mid- an idiot. And then, like, obviously, they're, they're not going to take me seriously because I'm too nervous. Um, and then, you know, um, yeah, sometimes I've sent emails and just never heard back, you know. Uh, so I just I want to know, like, what the proper way is to do it. Because, like, if I do decide I think to there is a proper way, genuinely, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, maybe there is. But like, first of all, I hate being on the phone. So like, (laughs) I'm not going to call anyone. That's that's like I equally am terrified as as, that's grammatically incorrect. But like, I'm just yeah, yeah. Well, it's not that I was it's I feel just like I just don't want to say the wrong thing or piss them off or, you know, make myself sound like an idiot. Like when I don't know what I'm doing. It's so scary. It's so scary. If you think you have only those few seconds to get through to them. Um, like I was just interviewed for this, this thing the other day and I had written like three pages of notes for this interview. And then I get on the interview and I forgot all of it. And I, it's like written out in front of me. It's like scripted. Wow. Everything that I want to say, but my mind went completely blank. Um, I don't know. Maybe people have taken pity on me. Um, or maybe there is no actual rule. Um, either way, as long as you're respectful and you actually have a feature that's well organized, fully teamed, you can always humble brag in these emails. So you feel like you've passed through their litmus test. Like I always say, I work at Sundance. Oh yeah. I'm not a Sundance filmmaker. Like Sundance has rejected me over and over again, but for some reason I say I work at Sundance in the hopes that just even me saying the word Sundance is helpful. Well, I'm sure that's um, impressive. Yeah. yeah, Sundance is an impressive institution. So being affiliated in any way is good, right? I hope so. And or maybe they don't care. But I just try to think like what, you know, they're looking for a commercially viable product to put their client in. So I'm trying to say, I have the support of this institute, these people, this team, you know, I have producers on Speed of Life who our three-time Sundance alums. Um, it didn't help us get into the festival, FYI. Uh, but <laughs> and me working at Sundance didn't help us get into the festival. But um, I mentioned that in these letters too. You know, I mentioned like, here are the hoops I'm going to pass through yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that is helpful. You know, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's pretty cool. I mean, I've I've been thinking I was going to do this my, my my feature with the casting director just because I feel like for some reason they maybe they'll help 
you know, be able to get better talent or whatever, or have access to better talent through the casting director, you know, but maybe that's just all made up, not untrue. Maybe, you know, emailing an agent directly is just as good. I, I don't know. I mean, it depends. It genuinely depends. Like, I just think that the actors I approached were open to my reaching out. And um, there was an actor that I reached out to whose um, agent wouldn't even talk to me if because they didn't accept unsolicited submissions. Oh, wow. And, you know, like that that's a very like old world perspective. But like, yeah, that's a wall you're going to hit when you go my really unorthodox strategy. But if you but if you ask, can I submit blah, blah, blah. And then they say yes, then it's suddenly it's not unsolicited anymore, <laughs> That's true. right? I mean, they were just trying to reject me and yeah. like a form letter. <laughs> so, yeah, I see. There yeah. you go. So I had a question for you. Like as a two-time, you know, feature filmmaker, uh, I know that your second film is not out yet, so it's so maybe a little early. But based on what you've done so far, do you feel like this is a sustainable career as a feature filmmaker? Like, do you think it can be these days? Uh, I mean, I think it's like a, a sustainable indie film career. It's like a unicorn. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's very, I mean, maybe I should pick something that actually exists. Uh, you know, like <laughs> right. it's an endangered species. Oh um, my gosh. It's. Uh, from my perspective, and this is what I talk about, or what I used to talk about before I went on maternity leave, um, day in, day out, it's, I don't know any filmmaker who's, who's making a living off of features. Um, first of all, they're all diversifying their content, right? They're doing, um, digital branded, you know, all these other things that actually pay money to, to crew, um, to work. And then, um, and then also just uh, films don't make money. They don't. Um, either there's too high overhead or they're <laughs> Wait, not. Wait, no movies make money? <laughs> <laughs> movies must make money, right? I'm just going to say like from my perspective of the people that I've talked to because you the data's not out there. So everyone I've talked to, every filmmaker I've talked to, I don't know anyone who's profited. And maybe there's like one or two people um, – and, and people keep thinking that I've profited from my first film and I haven't. I've just recouped through gross revenue. I have not profited. Um, so there's just this kind of like, I, I wish I had like a happy story that always remained in the back of my mind. But most of the filmmakers I talk to are either micro budget filmmakers who got digital deals with no MG and they're still waiting for recruitment or are, you know, Sundance filmmakers with like such inflated budgets that they're never going to recoup or profit. Um, clearly there are outliers and there are filmmakers who must have profited, but I don't talk to them. I, right. I only talk to the sad cases because that's my job. Interesting. They, they've got a. I I mean, I know that there's people making money, right? You know, like I think every movie that we see, that hits the theater or is like hitting Netflix or Amazon Prime that's being advertised, like all those movies must make money, right? Well, why, why, like, what proof do you have that they do? Well, if they, if they, if they didn't, like, who would pay the money to advertise them, right? If they weren't. Get, if the filmmaker behind it wasn't getting either a hired or getting some sort of fee for their movie, like why would there ever be any advertising behind it? Or you're just saying that all filmmakers are getting ripped off all the time? I'm saying producers of of indie features are not making a living off of indie features, and may, and you, know, you look at like Annapurna, right? Like they're not making any money, and they're like a massive. I mean, I don't even know if Annapurna exists anymore. I'm like super confused. Oh, they the definitely do, don't they? Well, it's like they were in severe financial trouble earlier this year, and I don't know if if that was fixed or if they're, you know, in a better situation now. But um, they, you know, a lot of companies don't profit off of their films in any way um it's very easy to get on amazon prime it's very cheap to do digital marketing um and what we're trying to figure out is like what's the formula of the like smallest but most efficient ad spend for digital marketing in order to convert the most amount of customers um so yeah of course 
there's advertising out there. I mean, I, I think that what I'm saying is a little bold and probably, you know, only 65% true, but the point I'm trying to make is like, we keep on presuming that you make a film for very little money. You're, you're bound to make money off of it. But, um, I, I don't know any success stories. Like I don't, then that's, what people aren't willing to talk about or acknowledge, which is crazy. Wait, that there are no success stories or that no one's making yeah, money? Yeah, it's like people <laughs> It's like people just want to believe that they can have a career in indie film and because of the outliers. And, and I'm talking about like the outliers, like the niche documentary makers who somehow find like a core audience who loves Sriracha. Um, and you right, know, like, right. <laughs> they, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, and they, you know, they find and they exploit and they, they utilize that fan base and they connect with them and then, you know, great things can happen. But when you're talking of like indie drama, uh, dramas or dramedies or films, you know, that don't have a marketing budget or, and even films that have a marketing budget, like if you follow the story of it follows right you know like the producer of it follows was pretty explicit about how she was never given any money yeah and that was like a major film a few years ago yeah it was a big deal yeah i don't know I mean, so then what do you think we need to do to change this like how like because you know people love movies <laughs> there's a lot of people who love indie films in, spe- in in specific and there's people need movies all these different streaming platforms all these different media outlets they need films to pump to audiences for their eyeballs so how can we solve this issue so that filmmakers can keep on making movies and actually you know be able to afford to pay for food and house and stuff yeah i mean like what I always there's there's no solution and my job is actually at Sundance is to like explore that problem. You know, I work at the Creative Distribution Initiative. The whole thing is we're trying to find creative ways to distribute films so that we can have sustainable careers for filmmaking filmmakers. But um what I preach is low, you know, low overhead, micro budget content, try you know, really lower the budgets of your films. Stop overinflating salaries for you know, for actors, stop having like sushi catering. Like there's so many different things where money is wasted on a film set. Um, and, uh, oh crap. Right. Oh, see, this thing happened to me again where my brain just went blank. <laughs> okay. So over low overhead and, oh, right. make movies, uh, as a hobby, you know, make movies, not as your primary career, but make movies mm, on the side. Right. I mean, that's like every filmmaker who's been on the show for the most part is, is that's their situation is they make movies on the side yeah. and they have something else they do to pay the bills, you yeah. know? But I mean, I feel like that's not real, a real solution, <laughs> you know, like if we want to have the industry continue and have there be more than just the Avengers movies, which, you know, I love, but that can't be the only type of film that America produces or that Hollywood produces, right? So I just sort of feel like there needs to be some kind of answer to this this problem at some point. Or, or I don't know, or eventually, I guess it might just continue, like, right? Like the people who have been doing it for a while might quit and then the younger people will take over and then they'll quit and then the younger people will take over and maybe maybe there'll never be a stop of movies even if no one gets paid for them. Maybe it'll just keep on happening. I don't know. I mean, the, it's a mix of old world and new world. Like the old world is has been taking advantage of filmmakers for decades, right? And um, you think of like the distribute distributors um who never did transparent reporting and kind of begged from um what is that expression begged from bob to pay barry i don't know i'm picking two names but you know there's like a history yeah, barry, b- b- uh rob peter to pay paul is that yes. what they say <laughs> something yeah. biblical right. yes um but there's a history of filmmakers being taken advantage of and not really having the education to realize they're being taken advantage of by production companies, by distributors, because um, they never really had the power. And we're in this really cool transition right now where filmmakers are looking to self-distribute 
distribution or starting to own their own audience data through um, email marketing or digital marketing on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So we're in this stage where filmmakers are getting more involved. Um, and so they're, they know the questions to ask and they know right. how to avoid being taken advantage of. And that's like the core of the economic problems, I think, is that um, we're not making a big, big enough fuss when our when our art is not being valued properly. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it. And I think there's a lot of filmmakers who want the, um, the brand recognition over revenue. They'll sign deals with big fancy companies, um, that are not smart financial bets for them, but then, uh, essentially what they think will leverage their careers in some way by being associated with that brand. But do so. you think that is true? Like if you like, let's say HBO wants to buy your movie, but they're not going to give you any money. Like, is that a good thing for it to be an HBO film or an HBO original or whatever? Yeah, as long as, you know, you don't need, um, as, I mean, I sure HBO pays pretty well, but if it's a company that doesn't pay very well, right. um, as long as you can afford to make that decision, that's fine. And that's why we go back to the make movies on the side argument, you know, don't, right. don't rely on the revenue because it's so unpredictable that you can't. You can't rely on, you can't assume Netflix is going to pick up your film. We really have no idea what Netflix is going to do. So you have to make the movie thinking right. that maybe no one will want it and that you you need to, to be out into the world regardless. But does Netflix even pay that much for movies anymore? I mean, I guess that they do for some, obviously, but I think for like an independent film, probably not that much, right? Well, the last license fee numbers I heard were years ago, so I don't know what they pay, but I... Um, but I, I mean, you have to celebrate an organization that gives any money to filmmakers. For me, it's like, oh, well, Netflix is actually paying filmmakers. Like, I can't be anti-Netflix as as irritating as they can be. Right. Well, a friend of mine um, who hasn't been on the show yet, but years ago, he sold his feature to, to uh, Netflix, and they, he got a pretty good amount of money for his indie feature from them. Yeah. But I think. Yeah from what I'm hearing, those days are over. Like they're not giving that kind of money out to unknown indies anymore. Cause he didn't, he didn't have any cast in it. He didn't have anything. It was well, they're just, acquiring you know, less for sure. They're definitely acquiring less titles, Yeah, but I don't know what they're paying the films that they do acquire. Um, and they don't tell anyone because they don't open their books to anyone. Yeah. And they choose content based off of data and algorithms and like figuring it out you know, whether their audience will actually click or not. Yeah. Um, which is data we don't have access to. So we have yeah. no idea. It's crazy. They're just operating in their own little world, basically. Yeah, it is. But uh, I, I, I don't think they're evil because, again, they no. actually pay filmmakers. So. I'm not saying they're evil. <laughs> you know? Oh, I He's, usually do. I would oh, say, do like, you? on a daily basis, I will <laughs> oh, just really? like, bitch about them. Um, <laughs> and I have to pull myself back and be like, they're That's not funny. evil, Liz. They're not. Yeah. No, no. They're just a company. They're just, you know, they're looking at the numbers. They're trying to make it work, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad that they're giving younger filmmakers a chance and, like, they're hiring a lot of younger independent filmmakers to to make movies mm -hmm. um, you see like a lot of unknown directors popping up on Netflix originals or first time directors even sometimes and I think that's nice that they're doing yeah. that and they're also like you know giving Seth Rogen Rogen huge co a huge contract but <laughs> they're also doing you know things with smaller filmmakers I think it's good that they're mixing it up um, I but just want them to hire me to make my well, movie. Of course, Netflix. I want them to hire you too. And I hear that they give you know filmmakers um, a lot more artistic freedom, which is right. great. You know, this is all rumors. Right. Um, but I, but I, I think that could be like a good thing or a bad thing sometimes. Like I think yeah. sometimes a little bit of pushback is is helpful for a film or for a story, just to you know keep it focused. Um. You know, sometimes complete freedom is nice, but yeah, I don't know. I watched some of those original movies and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if a studio note would have been helpful at yeah. this point. Um, <laughs> anyways, I know we're almost out of time, but I just want to talk a really briefly about filmmaking with a family. This is our last topic. Um, we, we mentioned earlier that you just gave birth to your son, Colin, about five weeks ago. 
Um, and it sounds like you think maybe being a mom will get in the way, quote unquote, of being a filmmaker, but I don't know. I mean, how do you really feel about it all? Um, I think that once things, you know, once we go into daycare or we get some kind of support for, for child rearing, it'll be a little bit different right now. We're spending every single day at home, you know, barely sleeping, kind of figuring things out, uh, constantly and, and pivoting. I mean, he was just circumcised yesterday and that was like hell. Um, oh so, my goodness. You know, like, <laughs> a lot is happening right now. Um, but I've had lots of conversations from working parents in the industry who say it's very possible. It's very possible and that it actually made them better artists and they started to see, you know, pick projects that really were meaningful to them and they started to see the world through their kids' eyes and they wanted to make their children proud and and that all sounds really lovely. Um, but ultimately it's going to come down to financially, usually I foot the bill for whatever we can't afford in a film, you know, I crowdfund right. and then I try to find investors and then, you know, my credit card takes care of the rest and that's not fun. Um, and that's not a world that I can live in anymore because right. I can't, I can't go into debt with a child, you know, that's yeah. just so irresponsible um i mean i'm sure there's ways to make it happen where it's totally safe um but it's also terrifying the idea of like being kicked out on the street and you have a kid now yeah Um, that's not good (laughs) so that's my thing is that like you know i'm gonna have to do things quote unquote more legitimately now um and i'm gonna have to take on less roles because I won't have the time to cast, direct, co-produce, oversee distribution, right. write and direct anymore. Right, right. Um, so it's possible. I just don't know how I'm going to do it anymore. Um, right. But I, I'll do it. <laughs> I need yeah. to figure it out. I think you're going to do it. I think it's going to be fine. Um, one of the things that I've been talking to my wife about a lot lately is that, you know, people have been having kids for you know, thousands and thousands of years and, you know, in our society, hundreds of years and their lives go on. They have their careers. They do the things they want to do. You know, it will just work it out. Right. Cause yeah. like, you know, I mean, we're thinking about starting a family soon and, you know, she's got a great job and I'm doing the filmmaking thing. And it's like, you know, we're not really, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're just going to figure it out one way or another. And, yeah, I know there's a lot of filmmakers out there with children, so they somehow figured it out. So I'm and sure. Usually, there's one person who's not a filmmaker, and that You're person right. has a great job. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Um, you know, that sounds lovely. I would love to have be in that situation. <laughs> um, right. Uh, maybe I think you know the other thing is like there's nothing wrong with taking a few years, reevaluating, starting a family, coming back to it. You know, there's all these great stories of like, you know, like Eric Romare or like, you know, Olympia Dukakis or like these people who kind of found success later in life. Um, and as long as yeah. you're continuing to make projects that you believe in, you know, I, I think I was a little idealistic with the goals of my second feature and I'm learning that now, but I'm still incredibly proud of it and I'm still going to keep on making content. I'm just going to, I'm not going to expect to blow up you know, until I'm 50 or something. So, so wait, so here, hold on. Okay. I'm just curious that this is changing the subject, but like, so your movies can premiere at Atlanta, which is like, you know, a well-known film festival. Like was your goal originally for it to like premiere at Sundance or something? Was that like the original um, thing? I don't want to like the single out as a festival and I don't want to disparage Atlanta. I'm actually like incredibly proud to premiere in Atlanta. But I think the goal was to be embraced a little bit more than we're being embraced right now. Um, Cause I thought that being making a second feature and having these actors and having, you know, our film is about, um, which I don't think is being fully read by screeners. It's about how the world changed in 2016 and it's inspired Mm. by David Bowie's death, but that's just kind of this gimmick about, you know, how um, our perspectives kind of change as a society. And we started to really 
Well, I, I don't know. I just think things went downhill a little bit. Um, so <laughs> well, films. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what your film's about, basically. Yeah, it, but it's like, you know, through science fiction. Um, and so people probably just see it as this kind of weird movie. Um, but we had very epic. I, f I feel like we have like an epic statement that goes along with the film that's just not being heard. Um, so like our goal was to really make an indent in some way with our film. And, oh, yeah. and we may still, you know, we may still. And yeah. so right now um, we're just figuring out where our home is. And then once we find our home, we'll, um, we'll go commercial, you know, we'll go to distributors and go to right. consumers and see if they like are, us. Are you hoping to get a, a theatrical distribution? Do you feel like that's a possibility for this film? I don't really care about theatrical distribution. To oh, me. you do like oh. really expensive and would just hmm. add to the bills in my, you know, bookkeeping. <laughs> but but um, wait, if a distributor was like, hey, we love your movie, we want to buy it, and we want to distribute it theatrically, I mean, would you, would you, I mean, obviously you'd be okay with that, right? Well, but what where would my money come in? You know what I mean? Like they would probably not pay me in advance. They would use any marketing money that they had for, you know, booking theaters and advertising the theatrical. Um, see, indeed, like, I don't know. Are they, are people really going to see our film with that, without like these Sundance laurels or whatever, or this like stamp of approval from certain institutes? I don't know, probably not. And then, <laughs> you know, oh, like, being a little negative, you're like a little <laughs> Timothy Plain over here. Um, oh, that's right. I did always agree with Timothy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, but, you know, like the no fun, no financial return would come back to me. It would all go back to the distributor to pay for the theatrical release. So right. I, I'd rather make money and make more of an impact directly to an audience online. Right. But you think like you'll get an, a, a minimum guarantee on a, direct to you know whatever oh, no. i don't think that either but i do oh. think that i mean <laughs> i think that i have a better chance to actually make some money if i don't do a theatrical but 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 isn't it like if the distributor is making the offer it's not really up to you right like they're the ones who are going to decide what offer they're going to give you and then they're going to either oh, give you that or not it's always up to you it's always up. i mean like you can't convince a distributor to do a theatrical release, but you can say, I don't want to do a theatrical release. So if they, so if they say, oh, we're thinking about doing a theatrical release for this, this for your film, you can be like, no, let's not do that. Uh, just give me X amount up, up front and p put it onto Netflix or whatever to, you know, SVOD or whatever. Well, I, again, I don't expect to get an advance or an MG because okay. I don't think those exist anymore. I mean, they're really far and few between. I've heard that they do. That's, I don't know. I mean, maybe not. I haven't gotten one ever, but I've heard that they do happen. They do um, happen, but it's, um, I, I, I wouldn't want to rely on that. And then, you know, I wouldn't expect a distributor to get me onto a major SVOD platform either. But I'm just saying, like, at least with a digital deal, there's a smaller marketing cap for us to um, battle. Like if the distributor is only spending $15,000 to market my film, to get it, you know, to sell it on iTunes and Google play, that's a smaller hill than a hundred thousand dollars on a theatrical release. So I'm more likely to see some money in my, in my bank account if we do a digital release, that's all I'm saying. Oh, because do you think that they'll get money back to you quicker that way? Well, I just don't, I wouldn't expect to be a theatrical hit. And so right. then I would never see any money because the cost of a theatrical release is quite expensive. But you could, but you think you could be an internet, like a, you know, what, what do you call it? SVOD, like, you know, pay, pay, what is it? Pay, uh, I can't even think right now. Um, VOD well, just digital, sort of just, thing. Yeah, digital or, or VOD distribution. I mean, right. I, again, it all has to do with the marketing funds. So if a distributor is going to spend less to market a digital release. And so the money that comes in from those sales would come to me sooner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, cool. Well, <laughs> I I don't know. I I'm mean, a I, bummer. I'm so sorry. I don't know anything about this stuff. I, I mean, my producer has been telling me that you know, 
if you get into certain film festivals, you can get your minimum guarantee offers. But if you don't get into certain film festivals, then you likely won't get those offers made at all. That's sort of the name of the game. Yeah, that's right? true. That's very um, true. And then, yeah, he's saying spend less money on the movie and you'll make more money. That's the other thing yeah. he's been telling me. That's so, so we're just trying to keep our budget low is at the, at the moment. That's sort of our big plan. Um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, he all, all my producer does is make movies. That's his whole career. I mean, he had some big successes early on, which I think has mostly what it has paid for his career. But I mean, I think out of, the 15 movies he's made, he's gotten money back on a lot of them, you know, uh, or made money on a lot of them, I should say. But did did those films profit is what I'm trying to figure out. Right. I think, I don't know, I'd have to ask him um, what percentage of them did, but I think a lot of them didn't. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I, I don't know. I think we actually, I think I'm going to ask him that question on his episode. Jeff Jeffrey Allard was on the podcast before and, you know, he's my producer. And I think I did ask him about like how many of his films had made money back. And I think, yeah, I can't remember what his answer was, but it, it was some, you know, um, yeah, I mean, definitely lots not all. Of movies make, you know, give money back to their investors, but do they... You know, has the LLC been made whole and are they in the black profiting after giving back to all the marketing expenses, all the distributor expenses, you know, all these things like that's what I want to hear is like the real success stories. Yeah. Um, But but ultimately, like it is good to be a pessimist because if you're pessimist, you only make films that really mean something to you that keep you going and then you're making them with a minimal risk to yourself. Um, and you're making them to, for like emotional goals, really like for to like make yourself happy, which is part of, you know, art and comment commerce overlap, but, um, you can't predict commerce. Right. So that's why you make things with your heart. Yeah. Which is how we should always be making things always, no matter what. You know, even if you are getting paid for it, you should still be making it with your heart, you know? Um, So, Liz, any last thoughts, last things you want to talk about before we wrap this thing up? Just apologies for my negativeness. It might be my lack of sleep. You're Um, not so bad. In fact, it is my (laughs) lack of sleep. I don't know why I even said maybe it's my lack of sleep. Um, But that um, if anyone wants to talk about marketing distribution or our new film speed of life to just, I always say this, but just like, feel free to email me, just email yeah. me and Liz Manischel at gmail.com. Yeah. I will uh, attest to someone who just emailed you. Um, like I think probably after you were on the show or something, but I had a question and you were very hel- helpful in answering it and <laughs> giving me advice. So I really appreciate that. And yes, filmmakers, if you have a question for Liz, she will reply. <laughs> so I don't know how long it'll take you now that you are yeah, a mother. It'll be a but... little longer now, but I'll do it. I'm happy to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Can you, do you think you can handle doing this outro? Oh my God. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say things go. out loud for you. Um, all right. So thanks for listening. You can find my work at lizmanichelle.com. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. Um, but yeah, as I said, just email me. But am I supposed to read the rest of that outro? Because Alric, I'm oh, just... Yeah. Can you do it or do you need me to jump in? You you jump in. You you okay. do it better. So you can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find the links to the things we talked about in this episode. Um, hopefully a speed of life trailer. Does that exist? Is that out there? Uh, it'll exist in like a month. Oh, okay. Well, this isn't going to come out in <laughs> before a month. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This this will probably have the trailer on it, hopefully. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at podcast. And please, if you like the show, tell a friend, help us spread the word, uh, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We, I don't think we've gotten one since Timothy has quit the show. Um, I can't believe it. So Aww. people, I don't know if I'm driving this thing into the ground or if I'm <laughs> doing a good job. Like I have no idea. So, I mean, I don't need reviews. We have lots of great reviews. I love it. I love the reviews we have, but I mean, I just really don't know how well I'm doing here, people. So. <laughs> 
let me know. Um, also, we do have a Patreon page now. Uh, you can find us at uh, www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. Uh, thank you so much for the patrons we have so far. Um, we haven't had a new one in a long time. Uh, so <laughs> if you guys like the show, help us out here. If not, um, I'll probably do it anyways. So that's probably why you're not not uh you know helping but that's okay <laughs> and yeah thanks liz for a great episode <laughs> you're welcome we're both like super negative i love it uh well i don't know i'm just being real here yeah 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 that's good. yeah um and yeah talk to you guys next week <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>